This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, so welcome to Journey of Unity number 16. Those of you who want to join our WhatsApp group, tinyurl.com forward slash Rabbi Epstein. All right, so tonight's Pasuk is the Pasuk slash song, Oiz Vahadar Levusha Vatishak Liyoim Achrein. Oiz Vahadar Levusha Vatishak Liyoim Achrein. Oiz Vahadar. Oiz is usually defined as strength. Hadar is, let's call that beauty. Levusha. So this Aishas Chayel is cloaked in strength and beauty. Vatishak, and she laughs, Liyoim Achrein, for the last day. That's the Pasuk. Okay. Now, I want to talk about some maybe out of the box ideas tonight, which are percolating in my mind. Um, and I want to so you sort of do this in three stages. So let's go through this. She is cloaked in eyes and strength. What does that mean? So strength. So Chazal tell us that the idea of strength, we know, has um, different connotation. On the one hand, Chazal tell us, Az Panim Ligahenim, somebody who has Azus, they, they, they're going straight to Gehenna. It's a bad thing. Az Panim Ligahenim. But on the other hand, it's brought down, it's really brought down in Shulchan Arach, but the Makar of this is really a Mishnah. And I think that the one who really elaborates on this the best is the Torah. The Torah opens up in the beginning where he lays out how a person should live their life in Arachayim. The Torah says as follows. He says, Yehuda ben Tema, Eimer Yehuda ben, te- ben Tema says that a person should have four qualities. And we're all familiar probably with these qualities. A person should be Az Kanomer, Kal Kanesher, Ratz Katzvi, and Gibra Kari, right? Now the Torah says that you should know that of these four qualities, he says, V'hischil Ba'az Kanomer. The first one, which if you want to say is the most important, because he says, it's one of the most essential qualities that a person can have is the quality of azos, of strength. What's why? Why is this so important? And the Torah explains. He says, because a person will go through their lives wanting to do the right thing, but there will be people who will challenge his outlook on life, his hashkafa, his, his fortitude. I mean, how often do you find somebody who... They, they tell everybody like, oh, I'm on a diet, I'm doing this, I'm doing vegan, I'm doing uh, paleo, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. This, yeah. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, really? You shouldn't do that. You should do something else. I'm doing, like, everyone always has like their ideas for why you shouldn't be successful in life. So the idea of Yehuda Mentema, which is really the starting point of Shulchan Aruch, is he says, if you don't have Azos, if you don't have a certain amount of strength, to not listen to every person who has their ideas about why you should not be successful, then you're, you're just going to go with the times. You're just going to be swung this way. You're going to be swung that way. And therefore, Yehuda Mentema, which is the source in the Mishnah, is the way that a person needs to know. Before you even get up in the morning, you have to infuse yourself with Azaz. So Azaz has not just a strong positive connotation, it's literally one of the fundamental qualities that a person needs to have in their life. And, and therefore, it starts off saying, right? A person needs to have azaz, az kanamer. But then you have az panim ligahenim. And what struck me was the idea that how often do we go through our life and realize that there are people who, as we talk to them, 
they throw out Mamre Chazal to back up whatever it is that they want to be a backup for their position. I don't know if you can relate to this. I'm, I'm sure you could. But a lot of times you go through people and they will, they'll say a term and they'll be like, oh, Derek Eretz Kadmolotayra. Like in order to back up whatever it is that they want to say, right? Because they want you to be nice to them. So they'll say like, oh, Derek Eretz Kadmolotayra. Like put away your Gemara. You have to be nice to me. Like I, I'll see this a lot of times with like husbands and wives. Like they'll, they'll throw out like a term, like it's either a Mishnah or it's a statement somewhere. And it's just their way of just taking any concept, any word, and then just throwing it out there and saying like, yeah, this is the way that you should live your life because I found words that seem to correspond to my argument. And right off the bat, I think that the concept here of saying that this woman is an Oiz Vahadar Levusha, we're starting off, we're saying, hold on. The Oiz has to be Hadar. There has to be a certain beauty to the Oiz. You can't just simply say, oh, in this particular instance, I'm going to go against the trend. In this particular instance, I'm going to do my own thing. In this particular instance, I'm going to be strong. In this particular instance, I'm going to be weak. Every Mida really has a time and a place. And I, I want to just add the words here that the Oiz, it has to be, it has to be appropriate. Because if you misappropriate, if you use Azaz in the wrong place, then Chazal tell us, Azaz Panim Ligahenim. Therefore, there's a certain, I want to go back a step, there's a certain beauty to this person. This person knows when to apply ideas which can be misapplied. This person is not a crumb person. The Aisha Chayel, the Ish Chayel, the, the happily and successfully married person is not a person that is able to win arguments simply because they know more Gemaras or they know more Mishnahs that they're able to throw at their spouse and therefore win an argument. They're able to show you, ha ha, I proved you wrong because there's, there's something abstract there that I found that matches the words that I want to say. No, they have Amida and the Mida is a powerful weapon, Azaz. They know when to apply the Mida. It's Levusha, it's cloaked, it's who they are, but they know how to do it in a way that is in coherence. It, it, it's, it's beautiful, it's congruent, it fits right in line with how the Shulchan Aruch says, this is when you should apply Azaz. It's not just that they decided to apply whatever they wanted to apply on their own. I heard a, a, a story recently, which I think brings this very much to light. So I, 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 I find that it's, it's something which runs deep in my family, um, that a lot of things which are krum, it just, it just bothers us. Like we're accountants, we're very logical, straight people. And when things come out krum, it just, it just strikes a certain chord with me. Um, I'll tell you the story. The story goes, this was actually a story that Rabbi Benjamin Eisenberger from Borough Park had said. And a friend of mine sent this to me and I was listening to this. And it, 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 this is, you know, again, this made me very upset. But this is the story. The story goes that there was a couple that got married. And this couple got married. And the father-in-law, the girl's father, supported this couple when they moved to Eretz Yisrael. And every year he would say to them, How's it going? You guys doing well? Yeah, we're doing great. Thank you for the support. Right? Year after year after year after year. For seven years. Seven years, this man supported his children in Eretz Yisrael. Gave them everything. Maybe every once in a while, they said, maybe thank you, maybe not. But basically, he paid for everything for seven years. After seven years, he said to his kids, you know, it's already seven years I'm supporting you. Is there is there a plan? Do you want to get a job? Do you want to get a stellar? Like, 
maybe something like that you could take off the financial burden of me just, you know, every month, you know, paying for everything. So the son was said, oh, you bring up a good thing. We'll think about it. Okay. Comes back. He says, yes, I'm ready to come back to America. I'm ready to leave Kyle. You're not kicking us out, of course, Pastor Shalom, but it's time for me to take a job. I'm ready to come back and I'm ready to get to work. Great. They come back to America and the son of says, the father-in-law, you know, we just got here. We're just getting started. I need an apartment. We need furniture. We have a few kids already. I mean, you know, I'm going to start looking for a job, but it's not so simple. You can't just find a job. You know, maybe you could help us out. Just like get an apartment, get furniture. So the father went ahead and he spent tens of thousands of dollars just setting up his kids, you know, to the next stage in their life. Okay. After a few months, he says to his kids, all right, so I'm ready to stop, you know, with the support. How are you guys surviving financially? So the son says, you know, it's not going well because we just got here to America and everyone who's looking at us is looking at us like, okay, you should take an entry level position. But come on, I'm already 30 years old. I already have four kids. I can't take an entry-level position that's way beneath me, right? People who are my age already, they need to be running companies. I, I could be running companies. Can't take these little entry-level jobs. So I, I can't find something because every time I walk into a job, they say, what's your experience? And my experience and I'm sitting and learning in yeshiva. So I, it's, just, it's not working out, but I'm going to keep looking. I just need your support for a little bit longer. So this went on for about a year, right? A year. A year, every time the phone would say, can I stop supporting you? Well, you know, it's so hard. Went on for a year. A year, I couldn't find the job. After a year, the son-in-law says to the father-in-law, um, you know, the truth is they're not used to us, like smart people coming in and really being ready to just take over a company. They're not used to us. Like the Velt is like the world is not used to this. I think I'm going to have to start my own company. I have a very good idea. You know, maybe me and you could become partners. I'm going to import some stuff. I'm making it up. I'll import tiles. I have connections. My friends, they went into construction. It'll be great. We'll be able to import tiles and we'll sell it. Would you like to, you know, partner with me instead of just supporting me and I'm a freeloader, just, you know, come on board. We'll be 50-50 partners. The father thinks about it. He looks at the plans. Things seem to make sense. Okay, sounds great. Goes ahead and he starts a company with his son-in-law, right? 50-50 partners. After like a month or two, the father comes in and he starts telling his son-in-law, like, so who's the bookkeeper? Who's what? Like asking questions, right? And the son-in-law was like, you know, I'm I'm running the company. Like, it's my, you know, like I'm running it, right? Like, thank you for funding it, but like I'm I'm running it. Like I know how to run a company. Like you could trust me. You don't have to worry. And the father said, Yeah, I, of course, you know, I trust you. Yeah, you're gonna be great, but just you know, I'm in business for 40 years. Me, let me just see what you, like, what's going on. Like, what do things look like? So after like a couple of weeks, the son-in-law came over to the father-in-law and he said, you know, this is really just not working out. I, I can't work with a partner that doesn't trust me and keeps coming into the office and, and like asking me things. I'm going to need you to buy me out. Just, just not working. Going to need you to buy me out. Right? So I mean, Eisenberger's idea was the idea of people being spoiled. Right. That was where he was going. Okay. How many people today, they barely, barely remember to write a thank you to their parents after marrying them off. And it, it's a worthwhile share for people to listen to. If you speak a little bit of, of Yiddish mixed in with English. Okay. But I want to talk on a different topic. 
I want to talk on the topic of of Chromekite, of Chromekite. What bothered me, obviously, was the idea of being spoiled, being spoiled. But there's a, a certain concept of people, and, and you encounter this all the time. You see this with couples that argue. You see this in the business world. You see people who literally, they will throw anything at the wall until it sticks. They'll just keep throwing mamre chazal at you until like they could just try to get their point across and across and across. Chromkite is one of the worst things for a marriage. And the idea of azos is where you, by definition, don't really care. You're very apathetic to the other person. The concept of azos, when it's used correctly, is that you're apathetic to the world telling you to do something wrong. That's when it's used correctly. But when you're apathetic to your spouse, who's looking at you and saying, hello, you're being chrome. You're arguing for something that just doesn't make sense. You're, you're, you're not logical right now. You're just saying things that are just torpedoing our relationship. That can be one of the most detrimental things that a person can do to their marriage. So Azas is powerful. But the, before we talk about Azas, we have to understand that in a, in a sense, what the Eishas Chayel is able to do is know simply not to use a weapon. Don't use a weapon when it's not appropriately used. Okay, so that's the first idea. Don't be crumb. The second idea is that Azaz itself has a strong place. So what is what is Azaz? Like, let's just talk about that for a second. So Azaz, we said, is the idea of, of, of bucking the trend, of not going along with everybody else. And the Medrash says, who is this person? Who is, we said, every Pasuk is somebody. Who is this Pasuk of Oiz Vahadar Levusha? This refers to Elisheva Bas Aminadav. Who was Elisheva Bas Aminadav? She was married to, anybody know? Anybody Jewish? Who was she married to? Nobody knows? She was married to Aaron Akain. Okay? She was married to Aaron Akain. And the Medrash says that Elisheva Bas Aminadav, and the Medrash actually calls her as follows, calls her Achois Nachshain. She was Nachshain Ben Aminadav's sister. Eishas Aaron Akain. That's how it refers to her. And even in the Pasuk, it refers to, it says that Aaron Akain took her, who was, who was she? She was Achais, it was Nachshin, it was Achais Nachshin. Like she was Nachshin's sister. She's referred to as Nachshin's sister. Now, it, it refers to a very specific day. What was the day? Let's go through this. The day was that she had the Hanukkah Ha Mishkan, and she was standing there in a, in a very interesting position. Because on the one hand, she was Aaron's wife. On the other hand, she was Moshe Rabbeinu's sister-in-law. On the third hand, she had two children who were now going to be able to serve in the Mishkan. And on the fourth hand, it was the day that her brother, Nachshon, was going to bring the Karbanas. So it was a very special day. And before I tell you what happened in that day, she is standing there with more simcha than anybody else in Kali Yisrael. And as she's standing there, a, ma- a major tragedy happened. The two of her sons, Nadav and Aviyu, go in early. They bring an Eish Zar, as the Pasuk calls it, and they died. So this trailblazing woman, as Chazal call it, and we're going we're gonna to get to her reaction in just a second. This trailblazing woman is standing there in a very unique position. 
It's like, like you know, like the Kanievsky family and the Elyasha family. It's like all like the Gedolim like coming together. Like a very unique personality here, right? Like Rebbe Zimbachevah Kanievsky, like Rebbe Elyasha's daughter, Chaim the stipler, like Chazanish's, you know what I'm saying? Like all the families, like royalties, like coming together. That's who she was. And what, what struck me, before I tell you more of the story, is more of who she was. Chazal tell us that going back to Mitzrayim, there was Yochavet and Miriam. Who was Yochavet? Yochavet became her mother-in-law. Miriam was her sister-in-law. And Elishavet together, the three of them were the three midwives, even though Shifra and Pua refers to Yochavet and Miriam, the Medrash says was really also um, Elishavet. Elishavet was included in that group of people that bucked the trend. They said, even though Pari is telling everybody that they should kill the, kill, kill the babies, we're not going to kill the babies. We, they didn't do that. Who else was she, Chazal say, that she became a Gilgal later on? And she became Kimchas. Who was Kimchas? The Gemara talks about Kimchas. Kimchas was a woman who the Afilu, the Afilu Karas Besa didn't see her, her hand. She was very Makhbed on Tznias. Even though everybody behaved in a certain way, the Gemara says Kimchas went above and beyond, and she had seven sons who were Tamid Chachamim. Who, I'm sorry, Tamid Chachamim. They became Kahanim Gedalim, seven sons. And it's brought down that Harbe Azukain, many people tried to follow Kimchas, but it didn't work. Meaning to say that there were many people in the world that would follow the trend. Azukain, they did like her, but she didn't do like anybody. She was her own trailblazer in her own right, just like the person who she was originally, which was Elisheva, that she was in her own right. She was Achais Nachshain. Everybody's standing there, Yisrael standing by the Yamsaf, nobody's moving forward. Nachshimen Aminadav, he runs forward. And he says, I'm going into the water. And then who was her grandson? Her grandson was Pinchas. Pinchas stands forth and he says, there's something going on in Kali Yisrael. We have to take a stand with Zimri. He goes ahead and he kills Zimri. And the rest is history. So this was a woman who embodied the concept of Oiz. What is Oiz? Oiz is, is even though the rest of the world is doing something, you're not so caught up in it. You don't need the latest coat. You don't need the latest style. You don't need to watch the latest thing. You don't have to know what everybody else necessarily knows. You're not so beholden to society for all the nuances that society encourages us that you have to know. Why? You didn't know this TikTok dance? Why? You didn't know this person said this? Why? You don't know the latest show? No, I don't know that. Loma and these things don't, they don't speak to me. I don't care about these things. I have bigger things in life, more important things in life to be focused on. That is the concept of Azos when it's applied correctly. It's somebody who knows what's important. They're like thinking about the day they're going to die. They're like, I'm going to come up to Shemayim. They're going to ask me to do TikTok dances. Are you joking? I'm going to come up to Shemayim. They're going to ask me important things, right? I have to know what's important and what's not important in life. And the things that are important, that's where I'm putting my energies. And the things that are not important, those things, I don't, I don't need them. I don't want them. They're not important to me. That is the concept of Azos. And, and, and Elisheva had this mida, and her family, her extended family, had this mida of if it's important, it's important. If it's not important, then this just, it doesn't make a difference to us. And sometimes I'm going to have to do things which go against the trend of society, because that's just how it is. 
I think one of the most beautiful things I heard in the last, I'm going to say in the last year, was the simplest conversation I had with the simplest person. It was, they said a few words that like really struck a chord with, with me. This person made a simcha, they made a bar mitzvah on Shabbat. And I, I was by the bar mitzvah. I said, wow, this is such a beautiful fair, very nice, simple, elegant, very nice. And at the end, we were like schmoozing. And I said, oh, did you, did you also make something during the week? The person said, no. I said, oh, but what, like, were you going to make, like, I was like giving like ideas, like, were you thinking about doing, you know, something in this hall or going to do that? Like, I was like, just, I, I was just asking, you know, like, my son's remembrance is coming up. So like, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, were, were you going to do this? Were you going to do that? So he said, no, no, we can't afford that. We just decided this is what we could afford. This is what we're doing. Beautiful. My son is great and everything's wonderful and whatever. And that was any, like, we just, we just moved on. And I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever heard somebody say those words. Like, no, I like, no, we, we can't afford it right now. So we did to the best of our ability. We're good. We're happy. We're nice. We move on. I was like, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Most people make a simcha. The question is not what is batamped for me, like what is appropriate for me, what works for me, what is in my budget. It's like the last consideration. It's usually like, what does everybody else have? Like, let's first look at that. Where does everybody make it? That's usually like the first question. Okay, so where does everybody make it? That's like the first thing. It's like our first thing is like, let's let's society create the bar mitzvahs. The only thing I have to do is create the people who are coming because that society doesn't necessarily know, right? But everything else, the actual affair itself, who do people use for this? Not what type of music do I like? Who's a band that I could afford? Like that's usually like the last consideration. It's usually like, who does everybody else use? What did they have by their thing? Oh, they had meat? Oh, okay. It's not like how much does meat cost? Can we afford it? It really struck a chord by me. The idea of this is what works for me and my family, and this is this is what we're doing. We're doing what works for us, not in a way that the society will look down at you and say, "Ah, this is this is ridiculous," but something that society will say, "It was nice, it was beautiful, it was eyes, and it was hadar." Those two ideas together, it was eyes and it was hadar. You made a beautiful affair, and that's all you need to do. This is what your needs are. You stuck to your budget, and that's a very beautiful thing. I want to take this to the third level here to talk a little bit more about Elisheva. Elisheva did something on this day that was very important, and it's really based on a Gemara. The Gemara says in Erevin, very famous words, which are really brought in the Mishnah, but the Gemara elaborates on the Mishnah. We all know the famous Mishnah. The Mishnah says that Adam is Nikar, a person is recognizable. A person is recognizable in his money, when he drinks, when he gets angry. And the Gemara says, and there are those that say, when, even when he laughs. What does that mean when he laughs? You can see when a person laughs, are they just like laughing their head off? Or what makes what makes them laugh? Like, are they intelligent and they laugh at something that like has chachma? Or they're just like a let's, like they're giggling and they're laughing, you know, all the time. Sometimes you see people like they seem like they're so happy. But then you look at them, you're like, there's no, there's no panemia to this person. Like they're just giggling and laughing. Like there's no... There's no chachma to it, right? Rav Chaim Kanievsky was known for, for I don't want to call it his jokes because he wasn't known as a comedian. Rav Chaim Kanievsky was known, he had a, a, like a very witty sense of humor. 
he would say things to people, even the way he would talk to people, he would just say, <laughs> he would come to him with like, like long hair and he would just say like, eh, up Sharon, you know, like even the way he would talk, his, it, he, there was a certain humor, a certain panemius to Rechaim, even when he was making a joke that there was like, like a one word thing that was just so sharp because, because laughter shows a certain, a certain, a certain chachma, a certain depth. So even after, even when the way a person laughs, it tells us a lot about that person. And I was thinking that it's not just the way a person laughs, right? It's the way a person gets angry, the way a person gets gets sad, the way a person gets mad. Essentially, a person's emotions tell you a lot about that person. So if you want to summarize that Mishnah, it's when a person lets themselves go, right? Because they got drunk, right? Which shows you a, little, a lot about their inner panemius. But more than that, if a person gets angry, a person has to deal with money matters where it triggers a lot of things. A person's laughing, a person's sad. These things, you see the panemius of a person. The panemius of a person is the raw emotion, raw emotion, not the emotion that they show you when they want to show you. It's the raw emotion that comes out. So here you have Elisheva. Elisheva is Aaron Hakayin's wife. He's about to serve as the Kayin Gadol for the first time. Two of her sons are now about to serve in the Mishkan for the first time. Maisha Rabbeinu, her brother-in-law, he has the din of a melech, right? And her brother Nachshan is bringing the Karbanas as the Nasi on this first day. And it's a beautiful day. Everybody's standing there, and she has four milas over everybody else. She's connected every which way you could possibly think. And then two of her sons go in early, and they bring an Ejzar, and they die. And the Pasuk says that at that moment, she was considered Oiz Vahadar Levusha. He looked at her. There was a certain strength, the way she handled it. And there was a certain Hadar. So Hadar, usually we interpret Hadar to mean beauty. But Chazal tell us that, that Hadar is a different type of a beauty. Where do you find the word Hadar? You take lachem pre eight Hadar, right? An asterisk might be a beautiful thing, but that's not why it's called an, a pre eight Hadar. It's called a priyat's hadar chazal tell us because an asterisk tree is like an evergreen tree. It survives even in very harsh conditions. There's a pasuk, the hadarta penei zakin, that you should beautify the face of a zakin. What does that mean? You should beautify. It means that by us, beauty, right, is longevity. Long, it, it, it's a certain royalty. It's a certain, the, the 95-year-old man who's sitting there with his cane to us, that's considered, wow. It's not, it's not, it's not the yoifi of Yafdali Kim Liyafas. It's not the beauty of a bodybuilder. It's not the beauty of an Olympian. It's the beauty of the 95-year-old man surrounded by his family. That's Hadar. Hadar is grace. That's how I would interpret it. It's grace. It's a certain like, wow, this person swept into a room. It's like, like when, when like a, like a, like a, a chassan or a kala, they have like a certain certain shine, a certain something. It's not beauty. It's an inner light that's shining forth. And here you have this woman who just suffered a double tragedy in front of everybody in Klal And they all turn. Millions of people turn. And they see Aaron Akain, the Pasuk says, silent, completely in control. And his wife, standing right there, completely in control. Eyes, and Hadar. I didn't lose that royalty, that feeling that I came, I woke up this morning as the queen of Kalah Yisrael. I woke up this morning that everybody related to me has a special place today. 
that hadar, that inner beauty, didn't diminish. Still there. I didn't get swept up with the raw emotion, the grief, the tragedy that everybody's going, oh, oh my gosh. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, there's grief. There's a time for that. But like Avram Avinu, he cried, right? Vil live Kaisa to cry for Sarah. But he realized that this crying was going to be maybe taken the wrong way. He was in control. In this tragic time, in this tragic moment, I'm in control. I don't, I don't, I don't get lost. He was able to control himself. She was able to control herself. The raw emotion didn't just run away. I think we live in a time where people's feelings are validated more than the truth, almost. Like, if I feel this, then I have a right to my feeling. And it goes against everything they tell psychologists in school, which is validating a person's feeling. If you feel this, then you must have felt that. And then, therefore, that's the, your truth. And there's obviously a truth to, the, to that truth. There's a validation of a person who's dealing with something. And if somebody is dealing in a harsh way, we don't, nobody judges them. But the ability to live in a figuratively noble regalness, holding yourself to a certain standard, even when you're challenged, is so, is so deep. It's so brilliant. I, you know, my wife just shared with me, which I, I, it's almost like hard to believe this. But I'll read you something. I don't know if it's like out in the news yet, but I'm sure it is. But it just like it blew my mind. The story, very simple, is that after the terror attack, you know, on October 7th, so there were many people that were taken hostage. And there were three specific hostages, which you probably heard of in the last couple of days, which they escaped the building that they were being held captive in. And they went, ran outside and they were waving their shirts. And they were unfortunately shot and killed by the idea. Now, those three, you just like imagine the parents for a second that their kids were captives for weeks and weeks and weeks. They finally got to the building. They got to the area. They even just had a report that there was a dog that was running in through the building and the dog captured them on the audio, but it wasn't sheared fast enough. So they didn't realize that they were in this building. The dog itself was killed and they ended up getting the audio too late. So they would have known like these people are in this building and we could do a hostage rescue. And the hostages rescued themselves. They got out of the building and they were able to take a white flag and they wrote in Hebrew, like, save us, we're three hostages. And they ran out and they waved it. But because it was so, I'll call it the fog of war, unfortunately, they were killed. And there's a woman, her name is Iris Hayim, whose son Yotam was one of those three. And she just put out a, a letter, which I want to read you. I think it's, it's like credible, credible thing. She wrote, this is what she wrote. She wrote, Hello to this brigade, Battalion 17. I am Yotam's mother. I want to tell you that I love you very much and I embrace you from afar. I know that everything that happened is completely not your fault. It's nobody's fault except Hamas. We invite you to come visit us at the earliest opportunity. Whoever is willing, we want to see you with our own eyes and embrace you and tell you that what you have done, as painful as it is to say and as sad as it is, was likely the right thing to do at the moment and we are not judging you or angry with you. You should know it. We love you very much. Vizehu, as they say. Vizehu, and that's all. That is Gavura. That is Gavura. That is a person who is going through almost like the second time around. You know what I mean? Like her son was captive, and it's like, okay, and then you're just hoping and davening, and the swirl of emotions for six or seven weeks, 
And then you get news. We've located your son. And then he was killed by friendly fire. This woman, the gubura that she has, is unbelievable. Oiz Bahadur Levusha. It's two emotions together. She's able to rise above where the easiest thing in the world is to criticize. You let my son get captured the first time. You killed him the second time. You don't know what you're doing. So easy to be that naysayer. She's so in control of her emotions at this time. Really unbelievable. I want to end with this one concept, which I think just takes everything here to a, a higher level. So a few weeks ago, we gave a share talking about the idea of being prepared for the unprepared. And, you know, somebody reached out to me and said, what does that mean? It sounds like the only way you could really prepare yourself for the things that you can't prepare yourself for is to just work on your amuna. It means whatever tragedy somebody will go through, if they're filled with amuna and they're filled with bitachan, that person will be good because whatever happens, it's menashemayim. And I thought about it and I, I said, no. It's, it's not just Amun and Bitachan. Of course, everything comes down to Amun and Bitachan. But from a practical perspective, I think it's the ability to prepare yourself from an emotional perspective to deal with life's emotions. There's the practical side also where you tell your children, by the way, if you come home and nobody's home, you go to a neighbor. And by the way, if you hear some noise in the middle of the night, you knock on our door and you wake us up. And by the way, if somebody's not responsive, you call Hatzalah and here's Hatzalah's number. You prepare for the for the unexpected, not just by saying, oh, I'm going to be talking, you do your hishtadlis as well to the level that you're able to handle life. What I find with certain, I don't want to say a lot, but with certain couples that get married is they're not prepared to face life's challenges. When life throws a curveball at them, they don't know what to do. They can't handle it emotionally. My wife was once talking to a, a newlywed and as they were talking, the baby, their, that person's baby like baby, like one years old, was eating something and literally started to choke. Baby just like turned blue. The mother was two blocks away. The mother, she saw her baby, she was gone. My wife grabbed the baby, was like doing a Heimlich maneuver and Baruch Hashem, the baby was fine. This woman was a shock, she was gone. My wife's like, if I was not standing there at the time, I shudder to think what would have happened. The ability to deal with life's consequences the, the challenges, the adversity, the things that we will ultimately have to deal with through life is one of the most important things for a person to prepare for. But how do I prepare? The answer is you prepare by being ready emotionally, emotionally to deal with challenges, to callous yourself a little bit, a little bit with exposure to the world. And I don't want to get into like a whole thing, but to, to be able to live simply, to be able to live independent, independently, independently, that you can cook and make supper and host a Shabbos meal and you could open your house and you know how to pay bills and you can balance a budget and uh, uh, the basics, you could hold down a job and you could go out to the world and you could make friends. Not that you're living in a sheltered environment, cocoon I'll call it, where when life throws something at you, you just panic and run. Panic and run is not a strategy. It's the ability to face life even when life throws something at you which is uncomfortable and you're able to say, yes, this is hard. You're allowed to cry. You don't have to be Elishava, Basa Minada. You don't have to be that person who's literally sitting there and saying, you know, I'm fine. You don't have to be this woman. You don't have to be Iris Hayim who's sending letters to people who inadvertently shot her son. You don't have to be on that level. 
But to be on the level that you're able to, to face life, to deal with life, that I think is absolutely critical. The ability to deal with life's challenges. And something that I tell a lot of young couples, sometimes parents don't like it, sometimes they love it, is when you get married, and this is practical, but it's also metaphorical. Within the first month, try to make one Shabbos meal where you're home alone together, the two of you, where you show your parents and your in-laws that you're, you're capable. We're capable. We're not completely, we don't need you to make me the challah this week. I don't need you to drop off the chicken soup this week. Like We are capable. And I, I think from there, it's just the start. I'm sorry to say challah and chicken soup is, should be the easiest, should be the hardest of all of our challenges okay, in life. But for most people, ultimately, it's probably going to be the easiest. Okay, Life will throw things at you. And the ability to deal with those challenges as a unit, as a couple, to get on the same page. So when something happens, your default is not run to my parents. Your default is not shut down. Your default is not explode and scream at whoever's nearest me. The ability to say, this is a challenge. I can handle this. I'm equipped for this. That idea is always v'hadar levusha. Because when your emotions are challenged, it's, 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 you're thinking of what's really important. What's that end of days look like? The end of days is either death, the end of days is Mashiach. That's what it means. It means we're prepared for, for, for all eventualities. That concept is, is a powerful concept. So again, let's just hazard this over. Number one is person's not crumb. You can't be crumb. If you're crumb, it's it's very difficult dealing with people who are who are crumb. I don't know if everybody understands the word crumb. Crumb is like crooked, yeah. Okay, that's number one. Number two is a person has to be able to buck the trend. And what that means is you have to be able to do what's good for you. What's good for you? What's good for your family? The right thing. Do the right thing, even in the in the face of adversity. And number three is simply the concept of being able to deal with the raw emotions of life. Prepare yourself for the unexpected by really, really, not just working on a moon and be toughened, but emotional, emotionally. Again, it's okay to cry. It's okay to, but the idea of falling apart, that's, that's not okay. You have to be able to hold it together. You have to be able to be independent. As dependent as you are, to be independent. You have to be able to run a house. You have to be able to make decisions. You have to be able to handle challenges. That's the concept of Ayiz Vahadar. Put it all together. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.